0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The restaurant industry may be at a bit of an unusual crossroads. It is excited that people should be returning en masse due to lower levels of COVID cases around the country and restrictions in some cities being pulled back. But they're also having to deal with a level of inflation not seen in decades, which is obviously impacting people's wallets and their eating decisions. And because of that, some in the fast casual world are upping the ante in regards to their rewards programs to see if that will entice people to come in at maybe an even more frequent level. Raghu Iyengar is a professor of marketing at the Wharton School who's done research into this area, and he joins us with more. Raghu, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me so take us through the research here and and the importance for uh a lot of these companies uh, as we move forward here
1: no indeed i mean i think as you rightly have said uh with the inflation and all the other things going on i think what companies are trying to do restaurant companies and other ones as well uh what they're trying to do is to generate a habit uh for people so for instance uh you know panera bread had recently come out with uh you know a change in the subscription program i think it was 8.99 before it's 10.99 now but they have increased the number of beverages that uh, they offer under that why are they doing it the hope is the following that uh, you know if they somehow make it a habit for customers to come in and get their coffee or whatever else they want once people have that habit hopefully when you're coming in for coffee you eat, you get something to eat and it's this cross transfer that they're hoping for uh, that's probably what will make it profitable Uh, because the prices by themselves for the subscriptions perhaps they are uh, sort of not profitable i think unless you know obviously you kind of have people who buy those subscriptions and decide not to go yeah
0: i've noticed that panera is one of them and i've noticed that a couple others that with these subscriptions really they started it out by by just thinking as something as simple as coffee you know, to, to yep. see if you can get somebody to come in and get that cup of coffee first thing in the morning, and that spurs maybe that thought process later in the day.
1: No, so that's the hope. Um, and actually, if you think about the prices,
0: though, it's a really good deal. So uh, the previous
1: one, which is they just upped it to, as I was mentioning, to about $11 and I think $10 or so. But previously, they had it about for $9, and you could have unlimited coffee, I think a refill every two hours or so. But if you think about the annual expense on coffee, that would be like, you know, 12 times 9, which is about $108 or $110. You know, that's nothing compared to what an average American uh, apparently pays for coffee. It's in the order of $2,000, uh, if you think about all the coffee that, an, uh, that Americans drink. And so in that sense, I think it's a great deal, uh, but that also suggests that maybe Pereira is not making a lot of money on it and but it's the it's you know getting a beverage plus something to eat that's where they're hoping that the money is coming from
0: so the interesting thing when you talk about subscription services and i think we've talked about them a lot in the scope of the streaming world uh is that you expect to get a level of churn in there yeah Uh, is there a level of churn in these types of subscription programs with restaurants and fast casual restaurants
1: Oh, absolutely. So, for example, I would imagine uh, Taco Bell uh, also had a subscription. I think it was called Taco Lover's Pass or something like that. Uh, it closed down uh, because at the end of the day, I think, you know, I say it somewhat jokingly, there's only so many tacos and so many coffees one can have. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I yeah, think, you know, what uh, companies are trying to do is to make that uh, particular habit and for consumers to have that habit and have it across so many subscriptions they may have is very, very hard to do. And so, you know, they may look, each company may be looking at their own particular swim lane. But at the end of the day, there are so many other swim lanes. And a customer on that, on their other end, is trying to think about what subscriptions to keep and perhaps which subscriptions are a luxury at this point in time.
0: So the challenge then is for the company to figure out which products are the best ones that they can potentially connect with the consumer with at this point.
1: Indeed. And also, I think I would not be surprised uh, that many companies may already be thinking about kind of some strategic partnerships, uh, but the hope would be, and this is somewhat uh, very analogous to what happens in mobile applications. So mobile applications, you know, all of us have used uh, Facebook uh, and Twitter, of course, was in news yesterday. Uh, You know, all of us have used all of these services, but at the end of the day, you know, these are individual services, So in the mobile world, uh, there is this trend towards something called super apps. Uh, Walmart is creating one. uh, You know, uh, lots of other companies, Zillow is thinking about it. And the idea is that you want to be the quote-unquote one-stop shop. So you're curating the customer experience, the customer journey, such that you become the place where they come in. But you're also offering sometimes unrelated services so that you're trying to get that market share from other places they may have gone to. So I wouldn't be surprised that we might see an analogy of this kind uh, in the restaurant war, so to speak, where uh, perhaps some of these companies would say, look, let's offer some things that we are offering, but also tie in with partnerships with other companies that have complementary goods.
0: And then that would potentially impact the type of marketing that a company would be doing, you know, uh, changing the mix of uh, of the traditional to non-traditional type of advertising they might do, especially because of the fact that, that digital and our smartphones are so very important to us and and sending messages to consumers about these types of programs is in in many cases the best way to connect with them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, before 2007, uh, you know, before the iPhone uh, era, so to speak, uh, you know, we in marketing, a lot of people obviously had done a lot of work on promotions obviously. But at the end of the day, we knew who to target, Uh, we knew kind of what to target with, but the biggest issue was when to target. And I think with uh, the smartphones coming in, with a lot of these mobile applications, uh, McDonald's, for example, has a mobile app, uh, you name it, Starbucks mobile app is very good as well. Uh, And one of the rationales there is, of course, with mobile apps and all the information that you might be getting, you might be able to strategically target the consumer at the right point in time in their customer journey.
0: We're talking with Raghu Iyengar, a marketing professor at the Wharton School. So then how then do you believe that companies have to think about the subscription uh, model in comparison to the traditional rewards model, uh, the yeah. differences between the two and, and the value in trying uh-huh. to put resources into both to get consumers to come back on multiple occasions?
1: No, great point. Actually, we had a great opportunity to work with a company in, in Asia. Uh, it was not a food company. It was a cosmetics company. Uh, but they were very interested also in kind of emulating what was happening with Amazon Prime. You can call these you know, paid loyalty programs. You can call them subscription programs. Whatever is the, uh, the term that I think most resonates with people. But the idea there is that rather than the rewards program where you are kind of shopping and you kind of get those rewards, here you're paying upfront as a customer, and as a result of which you are actually getting some exclusive benefits that the other people who are not in the paid loyalty program are not getting. So this mm-hmm. company that we work with already had a rewards program, a free rewards program, like many other companies. But then they decided that they would like to offer something exclusive to their customers who are willing to pay upfront. Um, a certain amount of money such that they can get exclusive rewards, they can get free samples, all of those things. So what did we find? What we found was, indeed, when you start thinking about what is it that that is kind of motivating these customers, once they have gotten into the the, uh, the paid loyalty program, it's sort of an upfront cost. And you want to amortize that cost. So you start going more frequently, and that's kind of what we found. We also found that, you know, think about the trip that you might make to uh, a Sephora. So this company was not Sephora, but just as an example. well, You might go there, and now that you're bought into the program, you might say, well, all the other things I was buying in its competitors, let me kind of shift the, uh, the market share here. And that's kind of what we found as well, which is companies became, or the customers, sorry, became a lot more interested in increasing the variety of things that they were buying at that particular retailer. After they became part of the subscription program so I think there are lots and lots of positives the big negative though which is where I think the company was a little surprised, and and, and I think it speaks a lot towards some of the other subscriptions we've seen unfortunately failing is that you know once people become part of the program not only do the revenues go up a little bit which was very good for the company unfortunately the cost to serve customers also goes up and so you know you might All of us have seen Amazon Prime boxes come in and out. It costs Amazon a lot of money. And this was the same case with this company as well. And so the costs actually went up a lot, the shipping costs and so on, to the extent that there was a large proportion of customers that were not profitable.
0: So then with all of this kind of mindset around subscription programs, where do you think they are headed in general? Are are they here to stay or... As you kind of mentioned with the Taco Bell example, is it is it almost on a case by case basis as to you know whether companies well they probably will dip their toe into this water. It's whether or not uh, they put their whole body in and stay there for a while.
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, and again I think all of this uh, I think is uh, is obviously being uh, a little bit kind of uh, changed because of the inflation that we are ex- experiencing right now. What is it doing? Well, it's making consumers rethink where they're spending their money, which of these services perhaps is a necessity, and which of these services are luxury. Uh, So, for instance, if you have, and there are many of them, if you have a subscription service which gives you your medical pills, right, or medicines and so on, uh, you may not decide to kind of give that up because that's essential, Uh, unless, of course, you live closer to a store when you decide to pick it up yourself. On the flip side, you know, do I need this additional kind of screen for Netflix? Uh, Maybe not. I mean, I might be very happy kind of cutting back on a screen or maybe even cutting back altogether. That's the news that Netflix got. And so I think what consumers would be doing repeatedly is thinking very carefully, I think, around where is it that they're spending the money and perhaps, as you said, on a case-by-case basis to kind of say, is this sort of necessity for them uh, or is this luxury for them?
0: You know, the interesting thing, Raghu, is that when these conversations started about subscription services in streaming uh the thought process was you know well you know you might have two or three subscription services Mm -hmm. because of the different content that you might uh, have it sounds like it's kind of similar uh in terms of these realms as well mixing in maybe with the streaming service you might have a couple streaming services and you may have one other subscription to a panera or some other company outside of that mix And you will keep, uh, you know, keep those uh, numbers under control as well.
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think one could perhaps see the following um, that, you know, people have, and as uh, many researchers have shown before, people have sort of mental accounts of what they've been spending on. And so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we sort of see, well, you know, people go through each of the categories that they usually spend on and see which among those uh, kind of retailers slash uh, other kind of uh, service providers in these categories are are worth having, and which of these perhaps are not worthwhile at least in the short run. So, for instance, right. Netflix again suffered a, a lot recently, of course, with this uh, these I think 200,000 odd subscribers going away. Um, and then on the other hand, you look at CNN Plus. You know, uh, as I was telling somebody uh, the other day, well, unfortunately, what's happening I guess is just putting a plus sign in front of your streaming and hoping that consumers will show up. That's not going to happen. And so not surprisingly, I think CNN decided to cut their losses early on and not, you know, spend more um, after a lost uh, cause. And so we see that even with all that money that was pouring in, I think this, the content was not appealing to people.
0: Raghu, great to have you with us again. Thank you very much. All the best.
1: Thank you very much, Dan. Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. Raghu Iyengar, Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School.